Now, as a church, um, we have been, um, over recent weeks in our Sunday morning gatherings, been considering um, under the title, Is It Okay for a Christian To... A number of uh, queries uh, that we might have particularly relevant to the world in which we live. And we've acknowledged that that they're not all queries uh, that are perhaps going to be buzzing in our own personal lives, although some of them probably were. But the likelihood is they're going to be questions that others want to ask of us, or maybe struggles or difficulties that others around us are wrestling with. So we want to know what is the, the will, what is the wisdom, what is the way of Jesus Christ so that we might walk in it faithfully and so that we might demonstrate that, that love to the world around us. Um, it's quite possible as you arrive today, and if not, um, maybe Ken can help me. If I, if, I don't, I'm not sure where Ken is. He's somewhere. Um, this is kind of a, a little note sheet that you can have. Um, I can't see Ken at all. Tino, can you go help me? There is some on the table at the back. And it's got like a framework on it. Um, for what we've been talking about and on the back there's room for you to take notes I think on the table behind the sound desk Tino and, and there are some there so if you've, if you've not yet received one of these or you'd like one for today uh, to make any notes Tino's just going to run around so if you just w- indicate to him and he'll, he'll pass that to you um, what, what it shows you is that in the Bible when we are wrestling with any kind of ethical question Um, we are aware that in turning to the Bible, it may give us straight away, and I think we might have it on there if you want to put it up, Lucy. Um, We we might have it on uh, in there. It's the the, the book with the permission and so on and so forth. Maybe not, but that's okay. In the Bible, we'll find um, that sometimes the Bible gives us a straight-out permission in certain activities or or, or ways of living, or it might give us a straight-up prohibition that this is not okay. And sometimes the Bible is just clear and dusted like that. Likelihood is we'll find out what God's heart is behind those things. But uh, sometimes that's the way. Oftentimes the Bible gives us principles for holy living that we then must seek God as to how we might apply in the situations that are at hand. We don't ever take a principle out of its context in the Bible. And truth is when we're willing to do a bit of work in in honouring God's word to us, we'll find that the context will give us pretty much everything that we need. Sometimes that will lead to a clear yes or no. Sometimes that will lead to a freedom in our particular circumstance, that it isn't just a yes or a no um, in our circumstance, but there might be freedom uh, to operate as seems appropriate. We submit our freedoms, though, not to law. The Bible teaches us that we do not live under law, but under grace. But we submit our freedom to a few things that are still very relevant. One is wisdom. Now, there's common sense, but then there's wisdom. And the Bible teaches us that the wisdom we're after, it begins somewhere very particular. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Truth be told, that if we don't want to honour God, it really doesn't matter what the Bible says or how Christian community will help us to live out the Bible. If we don't want to honour God, then we ain't going to really have much time for his wisdom. But if we are willing to honour God, then wisdom will be the means that we put our freedoms through. And there's two final things that we recognise in how we live. I know I'm going really quick, but that's because we've discussed this in previous weeks. So if if you're unsure on anything, have a listen to the podcast. It'll help you, I'm sure. But two final things that we put our freedoms through under the wisdom of God. One is our weakness. Now, if, if I asked you to put your hands up, if anybody ever feels weak here, I think we'd have a flood of hands, wouldn't we, eh? But we recognize that that's not just like a physical thing or an emotional thing or a mental thing from time to time. That actually we recognize, spiritually speaking, in following the perfect way of Christ, we are weak, but he is strong. That was a good place for a hallelujah. And not only that, but he says, I will make my strength perfect in your weakness. So that we then can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now don't misunderstand that. That's not saying I can affirm some truths and then go off in my own strength. Sometimes we do that as Christians, don't we? Actually it's saying, no, 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 I recognize I am resolutely weak. And the only strength I will ever know 
is that of Christ made manifest in me. That he, uh, the, the, the righteousness that I know is, is a gift of God. It is, we say, imputed to us. It's given to us. It's not of our own doing. And actually God is making us, making us into his likeness bit by bit until he comes again and takes us to himself. And not only then will we be saved from the, the penalty and the, the power of sin, but we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. That's another good place for a hallelujah. I'm going to say many things today that will cause you to say hallelujah. If you feel it coming up in your spirit, just go with it. And, uh, and I think we'll all be the happier for it, hey? Hallelujah, if you're not sure, it means praise the Lord. And that's always a good thing to say, isn't it? Amen. All right. So we process things through our weakness. We also process things through our witness. That is to say, we are not living in this world in isolation. We live as part of the family of God. That's a great blessing to our weakness, isn't it? But we also live amongst people who are doubtless, and at least at some points during their life, wondering, is there more to life than this? Or where is my hope? Or what is it all about? Or in moments of pain or trouble or weakness or sorrow or sin, what am I supposed to do about it? And if they can then look at us and not see perfection, but see Christ in us, the hope of glory, then we are doing them the most great service that we could ever do anybody, eh? And so we want to actually submit our freedoms under the wisdom of God, recognizing our weakness to the fact that we live as witnesses to Jesus. We've just celebrated Pentecost Sunday, last Sunday. And Jesus said about us, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Yeah? Jesus doesn't ever separate these things. You know, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishes of men. I would suggest to you it's not possible to follow Jesus without being interested in others coming to know Jesus. It's not possible. It's not possible to receive the Holy Spirit without being prompted to be a witness. And we have to be very, very careful if we think that we are followers of Jesus or filled with the Spirit. And yet, you know, there's absolutely no heart within us to care for those around us. We must must invite the conviction of the Spirit then that we would be changed. Anyhow, this has been our framework over recent weeks. And in, in answering tricky uh, questions of, of Christian ethics, of, of morality, of, of how we should live. What we're not doing is we're not turning the Bible into some sort of cold textbook. So please don't ever fall into that trap. There's a little acronym that you might have heard doing the rounds from time to time, and they say that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. And it sounds cute, but I have to say I fundamentally disagree with it because the Bible is anything if basic. Anything but basic, rather. And it ain't just about instructions before leaving earth because it reveals to me and to you the very heart of our creator God. It reveals to us his perfect nature. Do you know it reveals to us also the way that he made us in his image with massive potential and how it is that we've wrested our own nature away from God, choosing not to trust in him but trust in ourselves. And how that problem of sin has brought to us destruction and brokenness and pain. And to all of creation around us. And yet, God does not leave us there. But God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That we might be restored to the love of our Father. This is not a manual. Although it will give you great instruction. It is not a textbook. Although it will teach you eternal truth. This is the very heart of God revealing the brokenness of our hearts and the ways that we can be restored to him now and forevermore. I think it's good news. Does anybody else think that this is full of good news? It's fantastically good news. Now, eventually, you know, maybe your, your faces will realize that it's good news as well. Smile at me, would you? Yeah, yeah, let's go on. Anyhow. <laughs> You're biased. <laughs> Here we go. At the heart of God, a father who loves us, is relevant for today, but a gentleman named Max Lucado, he gives this analogy that will help us, I think. He says, when a father leads his four-year-old son down a crowded street, and the only thing wrong with that image is the idea that a four-year-old is led by anybody. 
Uh, it's more like oh, trying to hold on on you there. But imagine, when a father leads their four-year-old son down a crowded street, he takes him by the hand and says, hold on to me. He doesn't say, memorize the map or take your chances dodging the traffic or let's see if you can find your way home. The good father gives the child one responsibility. Hold my hand. God does the same with us. Don't load yourself down with lists. Don't enhance your anxiety with the fear of not fulfilling them. Your goal is not to know every detail of the future. Your goal is to hold the hand of the one who does and never, ever let go. And so in everything that we've been saying over recent weeks, and the same is true for today, our goal is to know that we have a father who wants to envelop us in his love. Hold our hand. The Bible says on one occasion, I will hold you with my strong right hand. Yeah? Just the very, very best kind of holding you can imagine. And our goal is to say, I'm not going to be pulling away from that, but I'm just going to submit my little mitt into the great and glorious mitt of my father. Okay? Now, we are not intending to suggest, as we consider Christian ethics, that it is our behavior which prompts God to love us nor that if someone seeking God doesn't practice what we preach, that they are in any way excluded from coming to Jesus. If you were to just do a brief overview of the gospel stories of the life of Christ on this earth, he never once says to somebody, get yourself together and then come. He never once says to somebody, oh, you're a bit messed up. If you could just improve 50%, then you're all right to follow me. No, no, no. We as Christians, we must not permit that within our own lives, nor must we teach that to anyone around us. The truth of the matter is, God could never love you more, and he can never love you less. But actually, that love compels us, prompts us, and causes us to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have. Causes us to live lives that honor the one who has loved us so extravagantly. We do suggest that when we meet with Jesus, we are transformed by Jesus. And so some really good questions for us as we consider some of the the subjects that we've looked at and we look ahead is, am I more desirous of God than I am of the things of this world or of this life? Within that, am I trying to hold on to things which are contrary to God's best for my life perhaps we need to ask ourselves what am I inclined to love that God hates it might be something you're wrestling with but to identify these things will be helpful to us and also what am I inclined to hate that God loves might we ask ourselves am I more like Jesus in his character and in the way he ministered today than I was yesterday and I say today and yesterday I appreciate you might not see it every every given day but you might say this week than last this month than last this year than last this decade than last is the, 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 the trajectory of my life in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit that I am becoming more like Jesus and that's not a hurdle for us to leap over. Rather, that is the drawing of the Spirit of God at work within our lives. And when we come to some of the questions of today, I would add some more questions also. When we say, is it okay for a Christian too? Can we ask ourselves, well, where is that coming from? What is its source? What is it doing within me, within others around me? And where is it going? What is its destination? And so um, you'll know if you're part of the church that we've invited today questions, maybe things that we haven't covered over recent weeks, or perhaps they're things that we've covered and they've prompted other questions to spring up within your heart or your mind. Some of you have sent through questions. I, I, we did say it would be an open Q&A. So if as we're going along for the next 20 or 30 minutes, um, if you think of anything that we've not yet come across... Um, or not yet, dis- not yet talked about, 
can I invite you? You can text it through to the church prayer line. And many of you, most of you, you'll have that number. Lucy, do we have the notice for the prayer line? It should be in your notices. You can put that up. For those of you who don't have um, that, somebody sent me a couple this morning. One of them we might address. The other one's just way too big for this morning. <laughs> but uh, I have received some, some questions. And um, there's the prayer line. If you can't see that number, it's 07867 988230. I feel like I'm at Comic Relief or something. <laughs> Text now. Give everything you can. No, um, that's the phone number. And it's going to, let's keep that up, please. Don't, don't take it away. People aren't that quick. They're not as quick as you young people with fast thumbs. Um, just leave it there. Okay. So if you've got questions that are prompted within you as we go along, um, you're welcome to send them. Can I give one caveat to this? I'm not going to call this a Q&A because I can't promise that I have or have found answers for everything as yet. So it's more a Q and R. It's a question and response. I will always have a response. Some of which may well be answers that we can find in Scripture. Some of them might be that we need to dig more deeply into these things, pray about them and seek God and come back to them as we go along. Now, of the questions I've received thus far, I've grouped them into some uh, areas. One of them is, is questions about identity, particularly around sexual identity. Another question area is around sex and relationships, um, some of which we'll, we'll cover now. I think some of the sex questions we'll cover on another occasion. Oh, I promise we will. I find it very, very hard to talk about sex, obviously, with all of you. Um, but God grants me grace that I can do that without everyone giggling awkwardly. Um, we, some of them are around other issues of lifestyle. And then some of the questions are around issues of life, the actual nature and, and preciousness of life themselves. So um, I thought we'd begin um, with some of those issues around identity and, and sexuality and identity. You'll know uh, that one of our sermons was, is it okay to attend a gay wedding? And we talked about that at great length. However, um, it was submitted that some folks felt like a clear answer wasn't given in that message um, suffice to say, I'm not going to cover everything about sexuality today. Um, if you want to, we, last year we spent a great deal of time over a number of weeks talking about identity. And you can find uh, those podcasts, those sermon podcasts and listen to them. We'll perhaps highlight them to you again in other ways. The, the, the question was around a, a gay wedding in particular. And what we did from the scriptures, um, was that last week? No, it was two weeks ago. Um, what, oh, a while ago, um, it, what we did um, from the scriptures is we recognized that the teaching of the scriptures is that marriage universally within the scriptures is between men and women. Between one man and one woman is the, 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 the goal of, of God's created order. And right from the beginning, uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, we find that this is the established pattern and that is adhered to by anybody who says that they are following God right the way through the Bible. We can find lots of other scriptures that would teach us about sexuality. But what does that mean if we were to receive an invitation from, for a, a gay uh, wedding? Now, obviously, you only receive an invitation for a wedding if you have a relationship with somebody, don't you? If they're your friend or your family or somebody that you care about and they care about you. Because you don't, you don't just... If, if for no other reason, the wedding's really expensive. Um, so you only invite people that you quite like. Um, but uh, I'm saying this, there are Africans here. You just invite everybody on earth, don't you? So uh, that's totally cheap. Filipinos as well? Yeah, okay. It's just British people who are stingy. Um, anyhow, um, but there you go. Um, other cultures invite everybody. Um, I, do, do, did you invite me because you like me then? I don't know anymore. Um, but uh, no. If you receive an invitation, this is the reason why this is an important question. Because they likely care about you, and you likely care about them. And so what we established was that we must respond to people in a manner like Jesus responding to people. Now some will say Jesus ate with people who were clearly sinners and had lifestyles that weren't um, commensurate with the Bible. Um, he attended weddings. You know, Jesus was fine with parties. But what we also recognized within that was that whenever Jesus was invited, 
And then whenever Jesus turned up, he wasn't invited and nor did he turn up just to bring some sense of affirmation or approval. In fact, Jesus, wherever he went and whatever he did, yes, he brought the love of God, but he also brought the kingdom of God. He brought the order of God. And he brought the possibility of entering into the family of God. And folks, they still invited him. Even though they knew he would come and be a challenge to the things that they thought or the way that they lived, but they still invited him because Jesus was and is lovely. And so can I say to you, when you're considering how you might respond to folks, ask yourself, am I lovely? Am I lovely like Jesus? Because the gospel, the Bible teaches us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. It tells us that we are dead and we're making ourselves deader and we will be dead forever. The gospel is an offense, but we shouldn't be an offense either, you know? That doesn't give you a license to be offensive. The gospel is an offense, but people, knowing that Jesus would come to them and say, oh, you're totally out of order. (laughs) They still wanted him to come and tell them that. Because he's lovely. And if you're not lovely, you know, maybe zip it for a while until it maybe look a bit more like Jesus. Now, with a gay wedding, we've said we can't affirm that it is a wedding according to the pattern of Christ. We can't affirm that it is a marriage. Presence at a wedding is affirmation, biblically. When we conduct a wedding here as a church, we will say to those gathered, you are here as witnesses. You are an affirming presence of this marriage. So for a Christian to attend a gay wedding would be a falsehood. We cannot go and affirm it because we can't affirm it biblically. So what we, what we arrived at was, realistically, the only way you could attend is if you love that person enough and they love you enough that you can have that conversation with them and tell them that you love them and that you so appreciate their invitation, that you do not agree with their perspective on marriage or the wedding, but if they still want you to be there, then you could be there under that basis. Is that clear? If, they, if that's a problem, then I think you just have to find other ways to love them going forward and wouldn't be able to attend. Is that clear? There was a follow-up question that was asked, would this church conduct a gay wedding? And the the answer would be a very clear no, for the reasons that I've made plain. Also within the denomination that we are a part of, the Elam Church, it affirms um, marriage as the relationship between a man and a woman. And that being, as the Bible teaches, the only appropriate place for intimate or sexual relations, that this is something that is given. Uh, for the the procreation and raising of children. It affirms what we might say is a traditional biblical reading as a denomination. Um, If your pastor, and I have no intention of this, suddenly decided to change his mind, then I would be booted out of our church. Um, So, you know, those are the realities of these things. But I hope you understand the heart of what I'm saying there. Now, this leads us on to two of the questions that were asked I'm just going to rattle through this section um, before, we, um, before we look at some other things. Um, a couple of questions were asked, um, actually by somebody who works with, with, with children's ministry in the church. So they're asking it from a particular angle. They were saying, how should they or this church respond should a gay couple, whether uh, gay men or gay women, come along to the church gathering on a Sunday with their child? Or... How should this church or a Christian within this church respond? Should a child come to one of our programs, our kids' programs, if, if we know that their parents are gay? Um, and now there's two things here. Um, there's some things that we can say that are relevant to this particular area of people's lifestyles and the identities that they believe that they have. But there's something actually that is broader and more substantial in this area. And what is actually being asked here is, how should we respond to parents coming to to church with their kids? Or how should we respond to kids coming to our kids' programs? If I can remove all the adjectives out, that's the underlying question. 
And no matter which adjectives you add then to that question, the answer is still the same. Can I make, do you understand what I mean? That no matter what kind of parent, what kind of child, the answer is still the same. We welcome everybody with open arms. We love everybody equally as they are made image bearers of God. Now just because some of their choices or their lifestyles or their desires or the adjectives that they may apply to themselves might create all sorts of uh, confusions or problems or difficulties um, going forward does not change anything. You know, the church of Jesus Christ over recent years and perhaps decades is wrestling with issues of sexuality largely because we've been embarrassed to talk about it before now and so the church of Jesus Christ has largely failed the society that we have found ourselves in. We have not given people a better vision of love and of sex and of sexual identity and of identity generally and so people have been left to their own devices to find their own. The temptation for the church is now to come in with our size tens and say, you're wrong. Resist that temptation, please. You know the, the biblical verses that, where the Bible talks about sexual identity and homosexuality? Do you know what a lot of gay people call those verses? They call them clobber texts because they've been clobbered by them. Because Christians, perhaps with good intention, I don't know, have come to them and they've taken verses from the Bible and they've kind of beaten up people with them. We have no license to beat people up with the Bible. I have a really big one. I could do some damage. but We have no license for this. Can I add some other adjectives? What happens if a couple come and you know that one of the parents is struggling with addiction issues? How do you treat their, them and their child? What happens if a kid comes to our children's program and they have a single parent at home? I'm just adding some different adjectives here. What happens if a kid wants to be part of our kids' club and they have Muslim parents? How should we treat them? Can you understand that the adjective doesn't change the heart of God towards the people? Do you appreciate this? Can we resolve to live like this? Now, if the questions are... Um, how might we apply both grace and truth to those situations, then we must recognize that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. That's what John 1 teaches us. And we must, in any kind of application of the goodness or the, the wisdom of God into somebody's life, we must first analyze ourselves and say, God, am I equally full of grace and truth as I come to this person? And allow the Holy Spirit to skewer you. Would you do that? Sometimes we just lean towards grace, don't we? And we're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to ever say anything about anything with this person because I just want to kind of, I just want to be nice. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. But sometimes we lean heavily towards truth and we're like, I'm just going to come and hammer them with the truth of the gospel and then run away. It's like gospel grenades and then leg it. Come on, it sounds silly, but we do it. Allow the Spirit to skewer you as to which way you lean. Because we will all lean one way or another. And maybe on certain issues we lean more grace or truth. Some things seem to bother some of us more than others. Allow the Spirit to skewer you so as much as possible you might bring the, the attitude and the wisdom of God to that situation. And may I say, you know, loved people love people. Hurt people hurt people. What are you bringing to somebody else? And may I also say, where is your mandate for speaking into somebody's life? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you've been granted a mandate to kind of dominate someone else's discipleship journey. Jesus has a mandate to say anything to anybody. But unless I'm thoroughly mistaken, none of us are Jesus. So we must actually submit ourselves to him 
and actually be granted the invitation to come alongside brothers and sisters who are journeying towards Jesus. Now, in all of this, I've not actually addressed homosexuality or homosexual relationships because we've already done that as a church. Okay? We affirm biblical sexuality. We affirm biblical relationships. Sex is only between a man and a woman. And sexual relationships are only between man and a woman. One and one for lifelong. That is God's, that's God's definitive. Okay? But to be honest, most of the struggles that churches and Christians have aren't so much to do with truth. It's to the application of truth. And that's why so few gay people want to come to church. Very few do. Because churches haven't been very good places for gay people. And I wonder, does anybody here want to change that maybe? Now, um, if there's follow-up questions on that, you can text it through, okay? Uh, I'll take one more on the issue of homosexuality and identity. It's not actually about sexuality. It's more about issues of identity um, and gender identity, actually. Um, and then we'll, we'll maybe take some other areas. Um, and and if, if you're feeling exhausted with all of this at any point, then, then just kind of wave at me. And maybe we'll take a few minutes to walk around and just, you know, give each other a hug or something. And, uh, you know, just something, shake it off a little. Um, so somebody asked, um, one of our young adults, I think, as they were chatting about it the other night, they said, is it okay to be a feminist? That's an interesting question, isn't it? And... Um, have you seen these t-shirts that are quite popular at the moment? This is what a feminist looks like. Have you seen these? And uh, you see as many blokes wearing them as you do ladies. And uh, you can kind of understand. And of course, um, and this is the only time I'm going to talk about it probably, but there's a Conservative Party leadership election. I don't know whether you've heard about that. Um, but one of the candidates, he, he actually at one point he said, I don't think I can call myself a feminist. And everyone was just like, just beating him up over this, weren't they? They were like, you terrible human being. Um, okay. Um, there's a real definition of terms here. What do you mean by a feminist? Um, because I think, as with most things, the, the more common these words become, the more they mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Modern feminist ideology which is relatively young is, is rooted and, and where its motivation may come from I don't want to speak to uh, in case you haven't noticed I'm not a woman um, so there's some things that I can speak to some things that I really can't and we have, to, we have to acknowledge the inherent daftness of a bloke talking about feminism but there you go that's what you got um, modern feminist ideology came to the conclusion that sex as in um, the biological determination of sex and gender, as in how a person might choose to live under various gender identities, are totally separate. And, and that is actually um, fundamental to feminism in its root case. Now, I, I don't think that as a Christian and and in my understanding of, of God's created order, I can actually affirm that to that extent. Um, however, I think there are, and particularly within the environment that we're living in now, massive kind of um, stereotypes, uh, gender stereotypes, gender exclusions, uh, gender... Um, almost gender violence, one towards another, largely from men towards women, but not exclusively. And I can understand why these things need significant resets within our thinking and within our practice and within our behavior. And I'm not just talking about the church here, although that is quite important. I don't think the church has necessarily been a great place to be a woman, actually, over quite a number of generations, but within our society as well. Um, Can we go to Jesus? Uh, it's always a good thing to do when you're not quite sure what else to do. How was Jesus with women? How was Jesus with women? Um, Jesus was safe, very safe. 
Jesus was protecting where that was needed. Jesus listened. He was a very good listener. Uh, Jesus provided hope. And of course he was means of salvation. Uh, Jesus did not discriminate in any way. And he set the pattern then for New Testament practice within the church. And when we read through the book of Acts, we would find that. And in the letters of, of Paul, in spite of what some people might say, and in Peter as well, and, and throughout the, the New Testament, we find the affirmation of women, not only as children of God, but as uh, people of the church and with equal opportunity to minister. Now, I don't think you have to be a feminist per se to arrive at those um, destinations. That said, I think a lot of people, when they describe themselves as feminists nowadays, they don't actually mean the total separation of sex and gender. I think what they mean is equal opportunities and rights for people regardless of their, of their biological sex. Um, and they mean that it is appropriate for people to be treated appropriately. Um, what else would there be to say about this other than that we can go again to the created order. In Genesis um, chapter 1 um, and, and verses 27 and 28, we find that um, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I, I know that. And God blessed them. Um, you might consider that to be somewhat simplistic. Um, largely speaking, it is quite simple. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether that's a helpful answer. Uh, but if it's not, text this number um, with your follow-up questions. Um, so it depends on what you mean about feminism. Um, by some measures, I am a feminist. By other measures, I am not a feminist. Okay, um, so there you go. In all things, I am a Christian. Uh, just, to, just in case you're wondering. All right. Um, okay, a couple of questions that have come up, um, kind of lifestyle questions um, that we'll take. So a couple of questions that have been texted in. Um, okay, so one question. You'll appreciate these questions texting in as they are kind of come on the fly a little bit so here's one that somebody's asked is it okay for a Christian to supply illegal CBD oil to loved ones who are sick oh <laughs> discuss um, <laughs> okay um, there is a general principle within scripture isn't there CBD oil, if you're unsure, it's, it's, the, it's the therapeutic um, parts of cannabis. So it's not the psychoactive parts that people use to get themselves high, but the therapeutic parts that many people say um, deal with lots of things like from, from nausea when people are going through cancer treatment to things like epilepsy or even kind of those who have autistic um, spectrum disorders that, that they say CBD oil is helpful to them in. Um, Ah, that's really tricky, isn't it? What are the general principles? And then you can figure out how you want to apply it. Um, the general principles are that we live according to the law. Just want to affirm that, uh, just in case. <laughs> and uh, this might be relevant for, to listen actually again to when we said, is it okay to vote for dot, dot, dot? And we talked a lot about how God ordains authorities um, and, and governments and structures and actually those are things for us to pray into and not rebel against um, and I, I know human tendency is towards rebellion and some of us in hearing that question will just think I can do whatever I please thank you very much and if, and if the people around me are too stupid to notice what's true then they can just blah, 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 blah. come on we need to put to death such rebellious um, instincts um, and submit ourselves to authorities some of whom might be in their place actually for our good and our protection. And actually sometimes processes and, and such like are actually good things to affirm. The Bible says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. Okay? Yes. Including civil society. What is another big principle? 
it's of God's desire for people to be healed and helped and made well. And, you know, I, I imagine as a church we probably affirm this fairly strongly because we have, to, I don't know what the percentage of people working in healthcare is in our church, but it's, it's pretty high, <laughs> you know, and, and your motivation is to care for and to heal and to help. And that is something that is within you because it is within God. And it is his, it is his ultimate end. There will come a point going to talk about it tonight actually when we open up the book of Revelation where there will be no more sickness and so everything that we are doing towards that is actually part of God's inspiration within our life and a good instinct I'm just going to allow those two things to remain in tension for you and you can um, you know if you want to discuss it more then let's discuss it more how do you reconcile this that we are to be subject to civil authority and adhere to the law. In fact, I think the only, or at least the most significant exception that we have is when the law prohibits us from practicing our Christian faith in a biblically God-honoring manner, especially with reference to the gospel. You, you can question that if you want. That seems to me the only opportunities we have for law-breaking. Sorry if you just wanted to be a real lawbreaker. You can break the law for the gospel, you know. If you're a little bit rebellious, then have fun. Um, so you have to hold that intention then with your instincts towards healing and help and the alleviation of suffering. And you, you perhaps will need to figure that out for yourself. One other question that was asked by text was, is it okay to enjoy the finer things in life <laughs> is it okay for a Christian to enjoy the finer things in life? I suspect this is motivated by the fact that Christianity tends to get a little bit hijacked by false gospels. We're talking about this with some folks just before we gathered. And false gospels are very, very important and we need to call them out and we need to call out for their destruction. Um, I know this because Paul did so in the book of Galatians. And he said, what's bewitched you? It seems to me um, that within the church and Christian circles, there are a couple of false gospels that are very popular. One is um, we kind of earn our salvation and that the more that we can live as kind of Christian martyrs, denying ourselves of everything, the more somehow we are impressing God. And if we can just make ourselves just good enough, then God will... God will smile on us and all will be well. Can I say that's a false gospel? It's utterly false. We affirm that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And this is all and everything that is sufficient for your salvation. Now, there is another false gospel that commonly goes by the term the prosperity gospel or things like health and wealth or something like that that says that we can enjoy our best life now and that anything and everything that takes our fancy is totally open to us and God wants to give us everything all the time and especially right now. I wonder, and I, I'm, I'm deliberately not going to name any names um, because I think that's unhelpful, um, but I just want to skewer some thinking and I want you to think about it and, and consider it for yourself. If I were just to name some folks from the Bible, would you say that they would, from that perspective, are they living their best life now? So Paul the Apostle, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was beaten with rods, he was falsely accused, he was run out of town, he was spat upon, did I mention he was beaten? He was imprisoned again, he was imprisoned again, he was imprisoned again, he was misunderstood, he was run out even by churches. Christians spoke ill of him. And he died after a long stint of imprisonment, killed for his faith. So under, this, under the, the gospel that says you can have your best life now, does, does that fit? Jesus, he was uh, rejected by his family on a number of occasions, 
Most of the crowds that gathered to him also left him. Even his best friends left him when the going got really, really tough. And one of his best friends cursed him and said he'd never known him. Jesus Christ was routinely misunderstood. And he said that, that foxes had holes and the birds of the air had nests, but he had nowhere even to lay his head. He came into this world with nothing and left this world with no earthly possessions. And the way that he left this world was to undergo the worst suffering that we could possibly imagine, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Was he living his best life now? Now, I understand this, this might be a little bit challenging, but if somebody portrays to you a gospel that says that inherently allied to the cross is material prosperity in the here and now as a given, then I would suggest to you they are teaching you a false gospel. However, does that mean that every Christian must give up everything, have nothing ever, and so on and so forth? Well, that also is a false gospel. So, many of us, I suspect, we will know Christians who are relatively wealthy, I suspect we probably all do, don't we? And, and, and we will know Christians who are relatively wealthy and they love Jesus passionately and they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're, they're generous and they're kind and they're seeing the kingdom of God come all around them and that's perfectly possible. We will also know Christians who are relatively poor and they love Jesus passionately and they're full of the Holy Spirit And in spite of their poverty, they are also generous and kind. And they're seeing the kingdom of God come all around them. Both are possible for a Bible-believing, full of the Spirit, God-honoring Christian. If God blesses you with the finer things in life, then so be it. That's his business, is it not? Now the Bible teaches me that if our Father in heaven did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, giving him up so that we might be healed and ransomed and rescued, then he's not going to withhold anything else that we need. Now God will attend to your needs. Needs mean two things. Needs mean, according to the Sermon on the Mount, what we need for our life, what we need. But need also means what we need for our life of gospel witness. And God's provision will come into these things. You know, I pray over my little boy every single night. I pray Luke 2.52. And I pray, just like Jesus, he will grow in wisdom and stature and favor before God and men. And I do pray the favor of God over his life. It's an appropriate thing to pray. But how God accords that favor is his business. If my boy is poor, then he's poor. If he's rich, then he's rich. If, like most of us, he's somewhere in the middle, then he's somewhere in the middle. But the truth of the matter is, I want him actually not to be a person who's about the favor of God, but about the God who gives favor. And if your gospel and your lifestyle, if the pursuits of your life are actually taking you from the God who grants favor towards the favor that he grants then your gospel is polluted and you need the help of God in that enjoy what God gives you but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness all these things he will add he will add not seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then I think God's given me a license to this so now I'm going to really go after that and add that you know it doesn't mean you don't work hard in this life. It doesn't mean that you don't you know, do what is necessary. It doesn't mean you don't maximize your talents. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean first, 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 it's God. I hope that is helpful. Um, time is, as I thought it would, marching on. Nobody as yet has waved at me saying they're exhausted. So we will take a couple more. Um, before we perhaps close with some worship because it's always good to worship Jesus. Um, Right, I think probably a couple of quickies, lifestyle ones. Um, There was, is it okay for a Christian to gamble was one of our 
sermon subjects a while back that Pastor Paul talked about. And he talked about stewardship, I think. And he talked about how actually you are entitled and invited to be risky in kingdom business. So, you know, if perhaps you're wired to be a bit more risk-taking, then again, you have an avenue for this within kingdom business. But yet, you are called to be a good steward of what God has given to you. Somebody asked, is it okay for a Christian to use raffle tickets as a means of fundraising? And I'm going to say like Paul, I do not have a word from the Lord on this. Um, It's up to your own conscience, I'm going to go with. If you think it's gambling, then probably not. If you think it's a legitimate form of fundraising, then, you know, I think there's probably grace for that one. If anybody's really offended by that, then they can come and ask me afterwards. I don't think we can really take them from the floor. If you've got something, Tim, just text it, okay? Um, so there's that. Um, another lifestyle one. If it's, is it okay for a Christian to go to a nightclub? And... Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's your answer. I think that's just you're, you're, you're keen. Now, sorry, I'm getting a bit, a little bit weary myself. So now, um, I would I would suggest to you that this the framing for this could be a little bit about um, motivation and destination. Um, where is something coming from? What is it doing? And where is it going? Okay, and and I think you have to. I, I suspect. This question is probably not that relevant for a lot of us here. We're like, honestly, I'm in bed by 9.30. And, uh, <laughs> um, but for those of you for whom this is relevant, it, this actually is relevant in a number of different ways. Where is it coming from? What is it doing? And where is it going? And you've got to ask yourself those kinds of questions. And you have to ask them of the scenario and situation that you're placing yourself in, but also of yourself. So what, where is my desire to go to the club coming from? Um, you've got to answer that question uh, ruthlessly and decide whether those motivations are are Christ-like or not. Also, any particular club in question, where is what's the motivation of that environment? Is that environment okay? It's it's a secular environment. It it isn't designed to honour Jesus, obviously, but is it designed to dishonour Jesus? Because it might be. Is it designed to deliberately do things that are contrary to the will of God? I don't think that's actually a given in every case, but it might be. So you've got to ask the question of motivation of yourself and of the environment. Then what is it doing? What is it doing amongst the people who are in that environment? Is it doing good things for them? And again, it's not going to be doing Christian things for somebody. I don't think there are any Christian nightclubs. I don't know. There might be, if there are. Yeah. But it's, probably, it's not really doing Christian things. But if it may not be actively doing negative things in those people. So you've got to ask the question, though, because some will. Some absolutely will be doing negative things in those folks. And then ask the, ask the question of yourself as well. What is it doing within me? Because, you know, we only have one life to live and our resolute pursuit must be that we become more like Jesus and help someone else to be. It's dead simple. That's what your life's for. Your life is so you become more like Jesus and help other people do that. That's why you're here. Everything else you do better if Jesus comes again. But he must think we've still got some stuff to do because he hasn't come yet. If you could come before I answer questions about sex, Jesus, that would be awesome. Um, so ask what it's doing in you. You know, are you becoming more like Jesus? And it might not just be the issue of the nightclub. It might also be what you're watching on telly or the conversations you're having with your friends or, or the, the way that work is perhaps, the workplace environment might be corroding your soul. You've got to ask questions of all of these things. What are they doing within me? And then, if necessary, make the change. And then the last part is, where is it going? What's its destination? Um, you know, if you go into a nightclub because you want to meet a potential partner, then you have to ask yourself, is that destination actually likely to be one that is God-honoring? And the likelihood being that most people in those environments aren't God-honoring people. And I'm not, it's not an accusation, it's just a statement of fact. Um, it's like most people in the supermarket, their motivation is not to honor God with their lives because they're not yet Christians. So you have to ask yourself, you know, if that's the destination you're driving at, is it a good one? You know, if the destination is is hedonistic consumption of whatever, is that a good destination? Um, 
if the destination is wild and crazy dance moves, then I think we can assume that that is a good destination. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any good dance moves. I only have the wild and crazy ones. Um, pity my children. If anyone can dance, can you teach my kids? Because they don't stand a chance if it's just me. Please help them. Help them. Um, anyhow. So I would suggest ask those questions of yourself and of the environment or the situation. Where is it coming from? What is it doing? And where is it going? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, there are, we don't really have the time. There are some highly kind of emotionally charged ones that people have asked. And they've been largely... Um, so there's some about the nature of life. Um, so one was, is it okay for a Christian to commit suicide? Uh, if you'll forgive me, I don't want to rush something like that. Is that okay? Um, uh, and a question around euthanasia as well. And somebody asked a question around... Um, joining the army with the potential to kill someone in the line of service. Is that okay? Um, these are all questions around sanctity of life, the nature of life. I, I think biblically we can affirm that life is sacred uh, from the moment of conception until the moment that life naturally comes to a close. Or even to the moment that life tragically comes to a close, it is still sacred in God's sight. And, and, and that is a general framework what I would suggest is we might produce some resources. Would that be helpful? Produce some resources on, on the nature of life and its sacredness. And the other area that we probably don't have time for today was on the nature of, of relationships. So again, someone asked, is it okay for a Christian to date a non-Christian or have an interfaith relationship? I would suggest to you the Bible is really quite clear on those things. Um, can I point you to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verses 14 through to chapter 7 verse 1 which is very clear and it uses language that the Bible uses about how you are joined together with Jesus. Okay? So it uses language of yoking. That sounds weird. but I don't mean like lobbing an egg at somebody. Um, I mean being joined together with somebody in, in a level of intimacy and with a, with a particular purpose. And the Bible says that we get to be yoked together with Christ um, and actually that's a beautiful thing and learn from him unforced rhythms of grace and so the Bible then says okay who else are you being yoked to, together with is that compatible with being yoked together with Christ because yoking requires that you go in the same direction for the same reasons okay so if you want to read there I think you'd feel that helpful again somebody asked the question is it okay for a Christian to get divorced again we don't have time today to deal with that in detail or pastorally appropriately. Again, I think we'll produce some resources on that. Um, just as a headline, um, again, like we talked about sanctity of life, there is sanctity in marriage. And God's will, obviously, as we've said, is for a marriage to be a particular thing. And as we affirm in our vows, we say it is for life. Now, the Bible recognizes, again, our weakness, and it recognizes also the brokenness of our world, but it doesn't do so in a carte blanche kind of way. I would say to you, and forgive me, I appreciate this is a, this is a very emotionally charged issue, and I don't want to be at all flippant about it, but this is helpful. Um, that I would suggest that divorce is permissible biblically for three reasons those being um, adultery, abandonment, or abuse. Um, and under, no circum under, under those circumstances, no believing Christian should feel that they are to submit themselves to those environments that are obviously hurtful and unhelpful. I don't believe that the Bible does permit divorce for other circumstances. I appreciate, you know, it's not my intent just to kind of throw it again, some sort of truth grenade and run away. Um, that I think is a, is a biblically faithful position um, if you want to talk about that with me please you're very very welcome to do so 
Um, and I would love to talk about that. I think on some of these bigger questions, it would be helpful to produce some resources. Obviously, this has been Scattered Sunday. Most of our church family is not here, which is why we record things and the podcast will be made available. Uh, if you do have questions that we haven't addressed, um, you didn't send them through, so I'm going to assume no. No, you might do. Or as the days and weeks go on, you might think, oh, what about? Please, you can send them through to the prayer line. You can email me. Um, you can kind of grab a hold of me. The elders of the church as well, I'm sure, would be very happy to make themselves available on these things. Do please wrestle with these things. Don't just say it doesn't matter and then just go about your life, however. And not only for your own sake. It is important that we live holy lives. It's an important part of our witness. It's for your good, but it's for God's glory that we live according to his revealed will for our lives. And and if we are experiencing the good of God and he is being glorified, then let me tell you, it's good for those around you as well. Your witness will be so much the more. And you might just see that as you become more lovely like Jesus, people around you want to know, why are you lovely? And, and they might even say something like, you didn't used to be lovely. Uh, how did you get to be lovely? And I'm sure we can, we can cope with that, can't we? You know, I'm not always lovely first thing in the morning. Not always, never. Um, but... Uh, God can do a wonder work in our life if we are willing to honor him. And uh, I believe that he will do this. Would you stand with me?